This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice, gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. We deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But for these 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Bernie Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. We have a lot of news, or rather one very large piece of news, and that's that the Kings have a new GM slash uh, president, (laughs) sorry, Uh, a new GM slash president of basketball ops, uh, which is kind of interchangeable in some places, but I, I will just say the reason I'm pointing that out is it was tweeted out differently by Sam Amick and Sham Sharania. I definitely did notice that. Uh, yeah, and then in the article that I believe they did together for The Athletic, um, yeah, it says, as head of basketball operations, sources told The Athletic's Sean Sharania and Sam Amick on Wednesday. Um, yeah, and like you said, different places, so uh, GM or president of basketball operations could be the number one guy in either position, and it seems that Monty McNair was – uh, the former assistant GM of the Houston Rockets was his most recent title there, and he was with the Rockets franchise since 2007, is what I found, is now the head man in the front office for the Sacramento Kings here. Um, you know, we kind of were down to McNair, Gupta, and Wes Wilcox, and, you know, when you when you heard those three names, did you have a preference between any of them? What was your initial reaction seeing McNair being the guy? Yeah, so my initial reaction was, I'll I'll just be totally honest, it was slight disappointment that it wasn't Gupta. Um, I think that he's become kind of a fan favorite, and depending on who you're listening to, maybe the leading candidate. Um, And I started to really uh, sort of get into the narrative of a guy like Gupta who oversaw a really long 
term rebuild, uh, retool in Philadelphia, and then was working in Minnesota to do similar things and had, you know, accomplished a lot with a team that wasn't a playoff team or just, you know, not accomplished a lot necessarily. It's not like they're back in the playoffs, but he hasn't been there that long, and they have made some pretty big, splashy moves since he arrived. Um, whereas McNair, you know, I, I think he is – I, I'm I'm overall I'm glad about this hire. I think he's a very well qualified candidate. I don't I'm not an expert on him, but he seems like a very good candidate. Um, it seems like you know definitely an upgrade in my opinion from what the Kings were working with previously. Certainly, so I'm happy. But uh, I, I won't say that this was necessarily my my dream candidate. I also was a little hyped on Gupta, um, but when it comes down to it, you know, the thing is is that I'm, I'm glad Sacramento went through what seems like a proper search process and came out with a guy that worked his way up through the inside of an organization. Um, you know, a sort of quick rundown on that. I have joined the Rockets as an analyst in 2007. By 2013, was director of basketball operations and then vice president of basketball operations in 2015. And then in 2018, recently here, was promoted to assistant general manager. And, yeah, obviously Sacramento thought that he was uh, capable enough to be running his um, his own team here. And, you know, it was, it was a little difficult to find information on him. I did see in, um, in the athletic piece that Houston, Rock, uh, Houston Rockets writer Kelly Iko said that, you know, McNair was notably instrumental in the trade that landed Robert Covington, and especially compared to, or not necessarily compared to Gupta, but when you think of the Rockets, I think you think of a team that really, I mean, obviously they were going so all in on right now, and it's a little questionable on how that will translate to a team that, at least in my opinion, needs to be retooling and preferably getting younger and focusing a little more on the future than right now. Yeah, and that's the main thing I want to talk about on this episode, kind of how his experience with the win-now competitive, very competitive, uh, you know, trying to push for the finals every year type of team can translate to a team that is out of the playoffs. But um, I think first up top, do you – so just go back to like – my confusion at the beginning of the episode, calling him GM or calling him president of basketball operations. Um, do, when you saw that, like, are, do we are we just assuming that this is the only hire, like the the primary hire, the main hire, and that he will be able to hire additional staff around him, McNair? That is, um, I'm just I haven't seen anywhere necessarily that like. Gupta is out because I know over at the Kings Herald uh, there's been articles written about could we get a combo? Could we get one as uh, president of basketball operations and one as GM? I know there are some teams, most teams I think actually kind of have one guy that does both. That's what Vlade's role was. He was both. Um, But I know like the Timberwolves, for example, have a different president of basketball operations than they have a GM. And I think the Clippers are like that as well. Um, So are you, but is the feeling here for you that this is the one guy? 
You know, when I first read it, actually, and I saw the confusion, the first one I saw was the head of basketball ops, and, you know, the search was, from what I saw, kind of listed as for the GM. So when I saw the McNair, I was expecting kind of actually, you know, or maybe just hopeful about seeing Gupta not long after as the guy above him, kind of like you're saying, in a one-two. But to me, like, since the news, I, I would assume that you would, if you were hiring another guy here that, the news, especially if he was listed above him, that that news would have dropped first because it seems like they were going for a head guy and then the head guy would be able to fill out his roster. So to me, when I initially read it, I thought that maybe Gupta could drop drop right after. But I think that since he hasn't, uh, I'm feeling like McNair's the number one here. And, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to bring in his own staff to work with as well. Yeah, it does seem because Amick and Sharania were working with the same information on the same story, it does seem like in this scenario it's an interchangeable term where the Kings, just like they did with Vlade, are going to be having one guy fill both roles. I don't know for sure. Um, And because in the final cut of that article they went with um, head of B-Ball Ops, that could allow for a GM beneath it. I do know that, like, I think at least my impression is that in Minnesota, the uh, president of, of Viva Ops in Grissett Rosas, I think, is above Scott Scott Layden, the GM. Um, at least that's my understanding. Or, yeah, I, and I think it's the same in uh, Clippers. So, I don't know. I don't know. if this, this could be announced first, if that makes sense, or it's like this is the number one guy. And maybe there's – but but based on the Kings' history with this, the way they treat this, those two titles is that they're probably one. And based on the tweets from Amick and Shams, it, it kind of covers both. So my strong feeling would be there's one answer to both questions, and it is McNair. Yeah, I don't – it's not all too big of a deal to me as long as there is, like – more depth to the staff with, you know, an assistant GM and and just multiple heads to bounce ideas off of. You know, I didn't get the greatest sense of, like, a depth in the front office when Vlade was there, um, you know, with Peja and a couple other guys as well. And I just would hope that, you know, the candidate you bring in, I mean, you need more than one successful mind working at this. I think you need a good handful. And I'm hoping that, it won't take all too long for us to get some names as um, to who else McNair is looking into bring with him as well because, yeah, I, I mean, Houston, it's hard to say how much McNair was due credit for, but, for example, Houston never had to worry about scouting all too much. They didn't have a first-round pick in the last three drafts. And, you know, again, a lot of their focus was on – winning right now, what good is that first-round pick if it could just help you get an asset that's going to win you a championship this year? Um, so, yeah, for example, bringing in someone with a little bit more of a focus in that, I think that there's still a roster in the front office that needs to be built out. Yeah, and I I will say I don't want to read too much into it, but it does kind of feel like uh, McNair is coming from a win-now team and a team that it's not like – one year of trying to win now, they pretty much since he got into the executive level, this team's been trying to win as quickly as possible. Um, and Gupta has been doing long-term stuff 
for a pretty similar amount of time. So I, it does strike me that those two candidates seem to be at the very top of the Kings list, and they seem to be so different in that way. I, I'll just say it, I, I do have like a gut feeling that that could be an indicator of where Vivek and the Kings were at, where it's like, do we want to go super long term and and kind of suffer through, you know, potentially pushing this to 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years of that playoffs? Or do we want to make this team better right now? Um, Obviously, GMs can do more than one thing, but is it interesting to you that they chose the guy with more of a win-now reputation? It definitely is, and, you know, especially with how the Kings have treated the last couple of years, you know, I thought that maybe you could point at Vlade since he seemed to be the decision-maker, but, you know, maybe Vivek is the one pushing for this, and, yeah, that definitely came to my mind when I thought of the differences between the two candidates and part of why I favored Gupta because I think that if you are just focusing on that eight seed, then you're probably not going to get much further than that at the ceiling of whatever roster you're building with that goal in mind. Um, so that definitely did concern me a bit. But, again, it's it's hard to tell with McNair because it's – yeah, I mean, anybody that's in an assistant GM role or even a GM compared to a president of basketball operations, like we're talking about, it's hard to tell who should be given how much credit under different front offices. Um, so, yeah, maybe there is some more versatility to McNair – that we're going to find out because I certainly hope it's not coming in here and and chasing the playoffs. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Do we want to kind of look at some of the moves that McNair has made in the pursuit of the – well, obviously, it's not really a pursuit of the playoffs in Houston. They have been there, but in pursuit of a title. Yeah, let's do it. Do you have some in front of you? I have, like, two good ones and two bad ones, the ones that stuck out the most to me, but if you have a better list. Um, so I have, like, his his spot track up or spot track or however you – pronounce that uh, with every transaction, but I also want to reference Sanjay Singh over at the Kings Herald. You can go kingsherald.com and look at an abbreviated list of uh, his his more recent and bigger transactions. And, and again, I want to like couch this and say that these aren't necessarily his transactions, right? 
he was on a team that that made these transactions. He was a part of a group that made these transactions. But I think the one that like is most standing out to me is the one that has been talked about the most recently because we just saw these two guys in the playoffs, but uh, trading for Russell Westbrook, sending away Chris Paul uh, with two first-round pick swaps and the 2024 first and the 2026 first. Yeah, <laughs> let's it's talk. It's horrible. About this. It's horrible. Um, it, like, I mean, a lot of people had questions of, you know, how Harden and Westbrook would fit going together. I like, yes, Chris Paul was very injury prone before this year, and it's kind of a mini miracle that uh, nothing ended up happening to him this season, and and he played great basketball, but it was a lot, and it, but. Uh, like it, it's a team that got really desperate, I feel like, and in their moment of desperation, made a move that is probably going to hurt them in the long term. You know, like Westbrook is younger and supposedly pretty good friends with James Harden, so like I, I guess I get it how they got to that point, but I don't think there's any two ways aside from that just kind of being a bad trade. Yeah, I mean it's a really Bad look, really poor trade. Um, yeah, I, I want to write some of this off on, like you said, desperation, where if, if it seems like Maury and D'Antoni and even himself or, you know, if it seems like everything could be torn down, I guess you do get more desperate and you're playing with house money at that point. Like, what do you care if you're trading away picks that you'll never get to make or – or more like in their so case, up. <laughs> never get to trade away again in the future because right. that's how they do. Um, but it's still, uh, it just makes me a little bit queasy to think about. Um, the other one that, the other transaction from this year that kind of couples with that, that makes me a little bit worried is the Eric Gordon extension. I don't think is looking too great right now. Yeah. He's, like, almost 32 as it is, and he got, like, what, like, almost $80 million over four years. Uh, and so the last year is not fully guaranteed, but he's going to be getting, like, yeah, I got the numbers right here. I can pull it up. But he's going to be getting almost $20 million in 2022-23 guaranteed. So guaranteed 19.568 mil um, with 21 mil partially guaranteed in 2023-24, and he kind of is washed, you know? Yeah, he's taken up the spot of your third star that really could be that difference maker there. Um, Like, he did have an extreme downswing this year that makes it look a lot worse. But, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, there were – it's not like there weren't signs – pointing towards him digressing a little bit. And, yeah, that wasn't a good deal. I know the uh, Ryan Anderson contract was part of this front office 2016, um, another not great deal. Uh, I do want to point out the one trade that happened this year that I I do think went pretty well for Houston was moving Clint Capella and a first-rounder for Robert Covington. I think they was extremely creative of them um, and obviously fit the style that they were chasing, but the fact that, you know, there was a lot of hoops they had to jump through in order to make that work, and it kind of seemed like the focal point of that 14 trade was getting Covington to the Rockets. Um, 
And, you know, I think they did a great job, again, being creative and doing that. And that was something that did do um, a good amount of um, good things for this team down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a great trade. I think it speaks to an ambitious mindset and philosophy. And I think in some ways the Hinkies and Guptas of the world are actually very similar to the Maury's and McNair's of the world in their ability to disrupt, even if they're doing it in, like, opposite ways, right? Um, we know how big Maury Ball has become. Uh, this is a team that will really max out its assets. And, and that's not really what Maury Ball refers to. That refers more to shot selection and the theory, the analytics behind it, but Maury is he's kind of been disruptive in maxing out his assets to win now, but he like he sees a guy like Covington and he thinks, you know, I'm gonna take this three and D guy who's six foot seven and I see a center in this guy. I'm gonna this is my new small ball five and I'm gonna move heaven and earth. And I think there that was like a crazy trade. I remember reading the details about it and there was so much finessing that had to happen to get it to work. I think they were, like, really using every last possible asset they could that wasn't nailed down. I mean, this team is Westbrook, Harden, like their cap sheet. It's Westbrook, Harden, Gordon on the new extension, P.J. Tucker, who they couldn't trade because he's too essential to their kind of system and philosophy, and Covington, and like nothing else, like all minimums outside of that, uh, slightly above the minimum for Daniel House, but, you know, really it, it just is minimums. Yeah, and, you know, I think that what they did overall was fairly successful, and then, again, I think they just took it a step too far. Like even the trade for CP3 and, and that duo of – CP3 and Harden worked extremely well. I mean, I don't know if you can put much on them for, you know, the reported thing being the duo not liking each other and really getting along on the court because they played some really good basketball. Without CP3 getting injured, they, we could be talking about the Rockets having a championship. And and then, yeah, they again, I think they got a little desperate. But overall, like you're saying, I mean, they were not patient in any sort of way. And and you kind of mentioned the Mori ball, and I think that the impression people will get of anyone coming from from Mori, and including McNair, obviously, is that they will have a little bit more of an analytical approach. And, you know, especially, I would say more than, like, I didn't get the impression that Vlade had an analytical approach. Um, and, yeah, like, I think that, you know, Monty, he spoke at the Sloan conference, was one of the few uh, places I could actually find some video of him speaking, and I think it's actually where, like, the one picture that's in a constant flow on Twitter right now is from as well. And, you know, uh, they asked him questions about working in analytics, and, you know, he makes it clear that your entire game plan doesn't run around it, but it's just things to consider, and it's, you know, that things that can add to the film you're going to watch and and contribute to the game plan rather than being the entire game plan. Um, I just don't want anyone to get scared by, like, the word analytics. I think if anything that will be healthy for Sacramento, you know, maybe that, like, means Bagley's a five. And I I don't know. Like, what do you make of an analytic-focused head of the front office? Yeah, I mean, it's everything that I've always wanted. And I want 
it to be a successful analytics group, um, and Houston is that. Houston might be, in terms of strictly analytics, maybe be on the, the furthest cutting edge of that. And, yeah, I mean, so we hear stuff. We know, you know, I mean, every team has an analytics department. The Kings have an analytics department. It just isn't, I don't know, doesn't seem to be translating to much. I remember hearing the only quote that, you know, they don't really talk about what their analytics department is saying. You kind of see it on the floor. But I remember the one quote that stuck out to me is that someone, I think it was Jaeger, said that our analytics department, says Justin Jackson needs to be playing the four for this team as much as possible. Or, or it was something along those lines, like our best lineups are with Justin Jackson at the four. And, you know, I mean, something, you know, make some adjustments in that, uh, in that, in that code or in that, uh, <laughs> that formula is broken. Formula is <laughs> off just a bit, just a bit. I think your cat walked over the keyboard and put it, yeah. An extra decimal spot where there shouldn't have been one if Justin Jackson at the four is is the answer. Yeah, and, and one other thing I noticed about Monty um, that he was credited for, and you know maybe this is just fluff because this is from a promotion uh, press release from the Rockets, but the quote from Maury is, Monty has been absolutely critical to the success of, of the Rockets over his long tenure. His unique combination of analytical skills and ability to work with our coaching staff was a key driver in our record-breaking season last year. And in that same Sloan conference, you know, he mentioned that he doesn't want an us-against-them scenario going on, an upstairs-versus-downstairs sort of feeling, and he feels like, you know, that comes with the analytics sometimes, so he makes sure to go out of his way and interact with the coaching staff so there isn't this upstairs-versus-downstairs feeling. And that's nice to hear. also, he should get a say in who his coaching staff is, but I guess that's a little bit of a different story. It's He's definitely praised for being communicative with the rest of the staff, including coaching. Yeah, t- I, you said that's from a PR release? Right, it's from a PR release, and then he talked about it a bit at the Sloan Conference. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine that anyone like wouldn't say that about one of their staff members, so it's tough. It's tough for me to, like, put too much into, oh, this guy's a really, really good guy, really good communicator, definitely positive aspect to our team building and interpersonal relationships. Like, I I, I read one specific press release from Maury on him that was, like, just a bunch of buzzwords and fluff, and I was like, yeah, okay, this isn't anything. Right. Yeah, fair enough. It was mainly the Sloan conference where, you know, he was talking about that upstairs versus downstairs sort of feeling and, and how to manage that. Um, yeah, I mean, what other things really stand out to you here about the about the hiring? Um, I kind of want to do some more transaction stuff. You mentioned the Chris Paul trade. I just wanted to get into the specifics of that. It's kind of fun to, especially going back a little bit now, um, this trade was interesting. I mean, Pat Bev, our favorite here on the podcast, Lou Williams, perennial sixth man of the year, Sam Decker, DeAndre Liggins, Darren Hillard. I could just stop reading here. And Kyle Wiltier. Was was Harrell in this? Oh, was he? I believe that he was. In this specific trade? I'm uh, seeing that in the Sanjesh piece listing it here. 
Yeah, it looks like – I mean, so he definitely was part of this trade. I think, yeah, based on what I'm reading on Sprotrack, they may be attributing it to a – maybe they're attributing it to, like, a separate separate technical transaction uh, because it, he was announced later. They kind of uh, acquired players to be named later in order to fill matching salary. Um, so, I, I mean, at the time, he wasn't – a big name, so right. that makes sense, I guess. But yeah, uh, from what I can see here, yeah, it says uh, as part of the blockbuster deal that will send Chris Paul to the Houston Rockets, the Clippers are also receiving backup center Montrez Harrell. Harrell is one of the few, a handful of throw-ins on the back end of this trade in order to make this, the salaries match. So yeah, but ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, if you throw in a, a player that turns out to be good counts so right what do you think about that deal like looking back on it I mean I think it's a good deal for them I think that um it it did work out you know like they had decent role players that I guess could work around Harden when you're really talking Beverly and you say that Harold would have transitioned into um that level of player and then Lou Williams as well like I, I don't know I think that the production they got from Chris Paul when it seemed like their strategy was to get a couple stars of or max or near max guys and then, like you're saying, minimum contracts around it. I think you need some pretty high usage playmaking stars. And I think that, you know, Chris Paul was a really good fit with James Harden. I think we saw it work. So while you gave up a lot, like I think this was a pretty successful trade. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the – I mean, the Rockets came, like, really, really close to beating the Warriors in that Western Conference Finals uh, a few years ago. And, it, you know, I think it was a Chris Paul injury that undid it. Um, yeah, and, I mean, there's – yeah, this this was a, an all-in move, and it could have paid off. Uh, I wouldn't fault him at all for trying this. I think Trez kind of becoming – breaking out is not – necessarily something you should expect from like a 23 year old big man at the time um you know you know what you're giving up in Lou Williams you're probably giving up a player that is not going to be as effective but certainly not going to be as effective as Chris Paul in a you know in a closing lineup in a finals situation so yeah um and, and I mean just in general like how do you feel about the Rockets just just to like gut check this with you because they, you know, they're one of those teams where people, some people will say they're just, you know, they're good, but they're not good enough. Like, they, they were good, but they were never good enough. And, it, you know, if, is, is this, is it ultimately, like, successful to look back on that tenure and say he was very successful with the Rockets? Or is it like they just came up short and they keep hurting their future over and over again? I think that, you know, you get – a team, they got the team to the point where they could have pulled it off. And I think that's really all you can ask for from a front office. And like you're saying, there was a couple of situations that could have gone differently for them. And if they did pull off that one championship, I think, you know, maybe there's a chance CP3 stays or you just feel a lot better about that run. And it really was an unlucky injury likely that stopped that from happening. I think that it's the latter of what you said, that they did put the team in a good position to, potentially won a championship and we saw them get 
damn close to it and then, yeah, did proceed to get a little desperate maybe because of some butting heads and rumors swirling of, you know, front office eventually being moved on from or head coach or, yeah, just pressure from from ownership, fan base, things like that. So I, I think that they put them in a good spot and then started to spiral a little bit. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Um, I want to touch on the draft picks as well. Kind of most notably that there aren't any. Um, like you've mentioned before, this team just trades its draft picks. It's it's how it is. They have zero draft picks this year, no firsts, no seconds. Um, going back, they don't have a first since Sam Decker in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have a lottery pick since 2012, but even that pick was traded, I believe, yeah, on the night of the draft. So, you know. You're looking at Marcus Morris and Patrick Patterson, both 14th overall picks, going way back. Um, Clint Capella was the the best first round pick that I see in this in this bunch of players they kept. Um, you know, not like a home run necessarily, but certainly a good pick at 25. And I think they handled his extension well at the time. It was four years, 80. Um, we're able to kind of move him for nothing-ish or in the worst-case scenario, but uh, like like any team would have taken that, I think, just into space. They were able to get more by using by um, using other pieces to get Covington eventually. Um, but like Capella, you know, even if he didn't fit their system ultimately, what they were wanting to do, I do think he was a good pick. Um, and there's really not that much in the second round other than that Montrezl Harrell pick. Uh, that was second round, 32nd overall in 2015. Um, you know, they grabbed Melton and Dylan Brooks, but those were both traded night of. So, you know, the assumption there is that the teams trading for those picks made those selections. Like you're saying, not all too much of a, of a record here. I do like the Capella pick uh, for reasons that you mentioned. Well, you know, the, and like you said, the extension as well, um, it, it did seem – a little costly, but I think that a lot of that was because the value of centers went drastically down, it seemed like, right after. And, you know, yeah, you got an above average, maybe, you know, that's being a little kind of average starting center sort of level at the 25th pick, and we're able to develop him. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to give credit for, like, you did draft Montres Harrow, but then kind of just had him spend time in the G League when it was a guy that that was a role you were looking for. It hadn't been won by Capella yet and ended up trading him away. Um, not that it was a bad deal in moving him or anything. And then, 
you know, like you said, you can't really give him any credit for Melton or Brooks, even though those were actually interestingly back-to-back, like good second-round picks. Um, they likely didn't make any of those, like you said, traded them out. So, yeah, this is where it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Sacramento's got a hold of the 12th pick in the upcoming draft, and I, I really have nothing to go off of of you know what make an error or even the Rocket staff that he worked under seemed to value in a player because they viewed those picks simply as assets rather than you know someone they were really going to turn it into and to develop. Yeah, um, it's not great. Like the Decker pick even was not a good pick. Sam Decker is not a good player. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore uh, with the 18th pick. And then honestly, like the second round picks, they haven't really done much with. I mentioned the Melton and Brooks picks, which were traded immediately. But, like, they're choosing to trade those. Like, if they had evaluated those players and decided that they were going to be decent players, the players that they are today, they wouldn't have traded those picks. Um, you know, you take those guys at 45th and 46th overall. The guys they did pick and keep, Isaiah Hardenstein, Chinanu uh, Okuaku, uh, on, sorry, Chinanu Onaku, uh, this is this one is the the most difficult one for me to pronounce in the whole league, but I think I got it. Yochi, uh, uh, a Chinese, uh, uh, <laughs> Chinese national, came over. Um, Nick Johnson, I've never heard of. Me either. <laughs> uh, Isaiah Cannon, I know because he plays. He most recently been playing the G League for the the Stockton Kings. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, and you're going back looking at. More first rounders, Royce White, Terrence Jones. Yeah, I mean, there's just not draft wise. There's nothing really good to. There's there's really nothing to look at, but there's also nothing like super exciting to look at. Right, but I I don't know how much I like feel bad about them not hitting on second round picks or. You know, like, it would be better, obviously, if they were utilizing even, like, the 28th pick in the first round. I think that, you know, for example, like, Golden State showed value in that of just getting a role player for three years on, you know, you're looking for max guys and minimums is what it seems like. I mean, some of the best value contracts you're going to get are role players that if you actually can pick guys that can fill a role in a limited usage um out the gates or, you know, not too far after that you can get some of those guys at the end of the first round or even early second um, on on occasion. But, yeah, didn't see that happen at all. I, I don't know how much to put into it, but it, it's, yeah, I think that, you know, this first draft pick is going to be pretty telling for the sake of, you know, does is this getting viewed as a long-term uh, retool sort of situation or are we looking to make the playoffs right now? Like if they're going and grabbing Sadiq Bay at 12, I, I think that, you know, we'll have to wait for more to back up that that's the direction they're going. But to me, that's that's going to be fairly telling and one of the first uh, notes that we're going to really be able to, to see here. What are the odds that this pick gets traded? And how are those odds been affected by the hiring of Monty McNeil? <laughs> just because it's the Rockets, so they trade everything. I don't. I don't know. Like, well, I'm I'm making a point here, which is that like this guy comes from 
a system that has utilized trades very heavily. Like they're a trade built team rather than a draft built team. Right. I think that you know you should explore the value of it, but I think like all GMs, good GMs should should just kind of listen around, you know, and and see what you're working with because maybe someone happens to in around the league happens to be low on a fairly younger guy or in a weird tax situation and you know, you can swoop them up at what you feel like is good value. So I think that, you know, he should lay out potential trades and, and I guess explore it a bit. But overall, I, I mean, Sacramento's in a really different position, and I'm hoping that that's obvious and it shouldn't be a win-now situation in Sacramento. So I think the logical choice is to hold on to the draft pick because you're not winning right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, shop around a little bit. Like, I guess see what you're working with, you know. But I think overall you keep it. Yeah, hot take, I think that there's a better chance this pick is traded now. Just super hot take based on nothing, like, really, but my gut. But I'm just thinking, like, I don't know. This is a waste of time because we have no way to know. But I do think that he could come in. He's coming in fresh. Like, he's obviously not worked with the guys that are around him, around the Kings right now. Maybe he hires some of those guys, but – it's not like they've had a long time to evaluate prospects. Secondly, this is a really strange year for evaluating prospects. You can't really do it. You can't get in-person workouts. Maybe he has a whole laundry list of guys that he's been specifically targeting in the draft, but I don't know why he would since the, the Rockets would never – they were never going to pick in the top 12, right? Um, so, I mean, I could just see him because he's so good with assets or – that's kind of his forte is is moving pieces. I wouldn't be shocked if he's like, okay, you know, I think this is a bad draft. I haven't had the time or the accessibility to evaluate these players. You know, I'm okay with getting, if I can find the right deal to, I think, get better assets that are down the line, I, I'll do that, and then I'll make moves with those assets. I'm just saying, this. I think it's maybe slightly more likely than if, whatever, if someone wasn't hired, if, like, Joe Dumars made the pick or, or whatever. Fair enough. See where you're coming from. Um, I think that's that's all I got on McNair here, man. Uh, overall, I mean, you leaving the you leaving this kind of feeling good about the hire? I am feeling good about the hire. I am curious. One thing I want to ask you before we go is, you know, how how confident do you feel about this team, like, so just a couple more things I wanted to bring up real quick. You know, the whole Houston Rockets ethos has been about the three ball and shooting, and they're, you know, now Fox is not a great shooter. Bagley's not a great shooter. Do you see any conflict there? Like, this is not a team that plays Houston Rockets-style basketball. Do you see a lot of moves, uh, like moving and shaking going on in this roster? Um and secondly, like just the concept of playing and building around a star, that's one of the things he spoke about. He's like giving talks on that. I think that was Sloan, right? Where he, he spoke about like how to build around an NBA superstar. Yeah. Um, he's probably not going to do that, right? In Sacramento, there's no superstar here to build around. Just, just curious of like, do you think that we could be in for a lot of moves in the next couple of years, or do you think that he's just coming in and he's like, you know what, I'm going to completely change 
my strategy. I'm going to be nothing like the Rockets were. I'm going to address this in a totally different way um, and, like, you know, make it work with the pieces that are already here. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a combination of both. I think that whoever was hired you were to kind of expect, especially with the situation Sacramento's in, that there would be a couple moves that happen um, within, you know, the first few months of those being available um, to to be made. And, yeah, I mean, I would think that, you know, maybe there's there's aspects of Houston that he agrees with and others that he doesn't, obviously, that, will vary when he's on his own, and it's hard for us to tell. But, for example, like if he values the three ball, which I would assume an analytics guy would, and it makes sense, I think that, you know, yes, Fox and Bagley are not three-point shooters, but you want to build around them. I think that the way you do that is just absolutely surround them with shooters. If you think that those are your two, you know, pseudo stars for now that you're working with, and then, yeah, what's the best way to optimize these guys? And it would be to get shooting around them also. And, and they have – a little bit of the roster to kind of do that now. Like if you wanted to put a, you know, Buddy Bogey Barnes, which they don't seem to really like that lineup, but maybe that, for example, is something McNair decides he wants to try if he doesn't move on from a Buddy or Bogey. And like I've heard people wonder, you know, since if he does bring over a Rocket scheme, does that mean he values Buddy Heald more because he's a crazy shooter? But I think that you also could argue that Houston – took a couple guys like, say, ex-King Project Ben McElmore and just slotted them as a shooter for occasional minutes. I know it's not the same level of player, but they found, like, good value shooters, and Buddy has this crazy contract. Um, I, I think it's just really hard to tell, I guess, is me kind of beating around the bush here of what he is and isn't going to like from from what went on in Houston and what he'll bring with him. I think that if, you know, three-point shooting is the value that he can get to that, I think that we're – we're due for some moves like we were no matter who the candidate came in, really, in my mind. Yeah, and that's my that's what I want to get to is that's my big takeaway is, like, moves are coming. I mean, they are. Like, they just went out and got the assistant GM or the uh, – yeah, I mean, they got an assistant GM that has been maybe the most – the team that's, like, made the most aggressive moves. So I just – I do not believe that they're – we're gonna we're we're gonna uh, <laughs> we're gonna mutually agree that Vlade should step down, and then we're gonna hire, uh, you know, a Mori guy that is comes from a super aggressive front office, and we're just gonna keep Fox Bogey Buddy Bagley Barnes like that's our that's our crew, uh, and they're just gonna be better because we're you know it just doesn't make any sense like th- there's gonna be moves there's gonna be this is there's going to be changes. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that there totally should be. There's there's good reason for it. I'm all for retooling, getting a little younger here. Um, and yeah, I think that you know obviously there's some contracts you could get value of, and I would hope that someone coming from a little bit of a trade history, prior front office experience would explore those and be able to get some okay value and be a little stingy with what you're getting back and. Yeah, I think that that Sacramento has, while they're not impressive or anything, they have some assets that they can work with here and and get a little creative. Yeah, we'll see. Well, 
thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Post Podcast. Definitely go check out the work that will be done by the guys at the King's Herald covering this. Support their Patreon to support uh, independent Sacramento Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us here at King's Post in the next couple of days.